I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask for some response, but I want you to think before you do this. Those who are online, you're going to be able to respond too, okay? I want you to get a thought in your head. What freaks you out? What makes you scared? What terrifies you? Now, those online, I actually have my phone up here because I want to interact with the whole church, whether you're in person or you're online. And I have the service right here on my phone, so I see what's going on. I want to ask you to type in the comments, what freaks you out? What are you scared of? At the same time here in a minute, I want to ask for a response from you all who are joining us live in person. I want to know what freaks you out. But I want to give those who are online, because you're about 20 seconds behind us, I want to give you a chance to respond too and just tell me what is that thing or what is a, that, that maybe that animal or, or, or maybe that involvement of something that just scares you. You can type it in here. What freaks you out? All right. Let me start here with those who are live in person. Just go ahead and shout out something. What scares you? Snakes. 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 What else? Spiders. Okay. What else? Heights, spoken from my son who is, you know, 6'4", so he's scared of heights, but I'm, I'm scared of heights too, being 6'5". Let's see online, someone said snakes, someone says, uh, Felix says centipedes, uh, snakes, snakes, people don't like snakes for some reason. What is it? Snakes? People keep going. A lot of people are terrified of snakes, uh, snakes and heights, you know, those are some very common responses of things that, that freak people out. According to Gallup, a snake is the number one thing that scares people. 51% of people say snakes is the number one fear. And I thought about putting a picture of a snake and a spider up here, but then I thought, no, that may ruin some people's Sunday morning worship to see a snake or a spider before them. Others rank public speaking. 40% of people say public speaking, standing up in front of a crowd and, and talking to them. And so what I'm doing, a lot of you say, I don't want to do um, 36% of people say it's heights. It's, it's being in tall spaces. And I'm one of those people. I'm like, I get started up on a ladder. I start getting nervous here in this room. We start going up to try to change a light bulb and a lift. I'm like, nope, I don't do it. So a couple years ago, I gave up and said, I'm not even trying anymore because I know that I get up on the heights and it just freaks me out. See, fear comes in many forms. For many people though, fear comes when I mention the word evangelism. It conjures up all kinds of negative images. And just the mention of the E word can make many Christians cringe. Matter of fact, some of you right now are like, hey, can I escape out to the hallway and get a, get, go to the bathroom? Some of you are online are like, it's time to turn this off. I've had enough of it. Let's go on and do something else with our day. Some of you just want to get out of here. Unfortunately, many believers freak out when it comes to sharing their faith. Many of us are terrified. Some Christians would rather wrap their hands around the neck of a snake than it would be to share their faith. And we know that to be true. Because if I said, hey, we're going to meet today and go out and do some evangelism and share, many would say, I'm, I'm heading home. I'm not, I'm not going to practice that. Some of the most common anxieties about evangelism are, are fear of rejection. Some are fear of losing a friendship. Some are just the feeling of being inadequate. Like, I just don't know what to say. There's a survey done some years ago, and the question was asked to people, if a friend shared faith with you, shared their religion with you, would that be acceptable? Would that be okay? Would you mind that? 79% said, I wouldn't mind. 
That's fine. They can share their faith. If they truly believe in who they say they believe, I'm okay with that. While 18% disagree and they said, I'm not sure if I like that. And another 3% said, I'm not sure. But if you stop and look at that, basically 80% of people that we are in relationship with, if we were to share our faith with them, they're okay with that. While 20% say, nah, I'd rather not. In other words, we have an 8 out of 10 chance of having at least a good conversation. An 8 out of 10 chance of them saying, oh, let's talk about it. And some people worry they wouldn't be prepared for the questions that may come. Wait a minute, if I start sharing my faith, they might start asking me some questions about the Bible and I can't answer those questions. Others fear that I'm going to offend somebody. Well, if I start sharing faith, well, then that's going to be offensive to them. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes it is. Sometimes this. Sometimes we need to be offended in order to really start to think. There are many reasons a lot of us get freaked out about witnessing, especially in today's postmodern and politically correct climate. I mean, it makes us really nervous. We live in a society, though, that is full with people who live outside of the church world. Even in our American culture, People don't seem to know, and many don't seem to care about the good news that's found in Jesus Christ. They don't know the great redemptive story that is found in the Bible, and they live their lives oblivious to the good news that means everything to us as Christ followers. See, it's easy to freak out in a culture that is increasingly antagonistic toward the church and indifferent to the gospel. But let me suggest to you to, to, to you today a different perspective. See, the fact that we are alive today is not accidental, nor is it incidental. God has placed us today in the year 2020, as stinky as it's been, as awful as this year has been, God has placed us now for such a time as this and I am convinced that Christians live in an incredible time to talk to people about Jesus. People are looking for answers. People are looking for hope. They're wondering, is this the end? How close are we to the end? What's next? People are open to having, may I say, spiritual conversations. Let's talk about spiritual issues. And then we, the church, who believe in Jesus, have the opportunity in that to say, well, let me tell you my spiritual understanding and what it means with Jesus. We are living in a great time to be alive when it comes to the gospel. We really are. As hard as the time as it is. In our scripture today, from the book of Colossians, we're going to see how Paul guides us, how we can reach out to a world that is far from Christ. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4 as we wrap up this great letter that we've been walking in for about the last eight or nine weeks. I know some of you are thinking, Brian, last week we didn't finish chapter 3. There's some important stuff in there that Paul says to husbands and wives and children, and how can we skip that section and move on to chapter 4? Well, we're heading into Christmas time, and I was trying to figure out how do I navigate all this and wrap this up and not take a pause and try to come back then in January. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip that section about the family because I think it's important. It's been several years since I preached a sermon series around the family. So I'm going to skip that for now to come back to it during the first quarter of 2021. And we'll spend three or four weeks talking about the family and what the Bible says about how to have a Christ-centered family. And so I want to jump into chapter 4 just to kind of dive in here to finish off what Paul kind of says here, church, here's how we reach a, a world that's without Jesus. See, I, I really do not think we fully grasp the importance of what we are called to do as the church. I don't think we really get it. What is going on today is that people are dying without Jesus. People are dying without knowing Jesus as their Savior. And we can wish people into heaven all we want. I can tell you from preaching many funerals and standing in that funeral line and hearing the conversations where people say, I think they were a good person. I, I really hope they're okay. I, I, I believe they'll be in heaven. Having a wish mentality that falls short because the truth is, Unless people have a relationship with Jesus, nothing's going to get them to heaven. And we miss that understanding. And I don't know how well it really is sunk in our heart as Christ followers that people are hurting and living without Christ and they're on a direction that would be an eternity without Jesus unless while they're here on earth they decide to choose Jesus as their Savior. And it's our job, the church, to bring the gospel to them. And this is what Paul dives into. Look at our mission as a church. Center point, we say our mission is that we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. That's what we want to do. We retooled our mission last year. and We said we're going to make it really simple. We're going to help people find. That's evangelism. But we know if we put in our mission, your job is to be an evangelist. Some of you may have freaked out on me. But that's what it is. Our job is to help people find Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. And once we help them find Jesus, then we help them learn how to walk in Jesus. That's follow Jesus. That's make him into a disciple. I have three keys that I see in our text today that I think will help us be successful in our endeavor of reaching people who are hurting and who are dying without Jesus. How do we do that? In our text, Paul gives us three keys to be an effective witness for Christ. He, first of all, focuses on our prayers. Such an important aspect of anything that we do in life. But but maybe one of the most neglected. How many times have we tried to say something to another person about our faith without prayer preparation? Well, let me talk to you about Jesus, and we haven't stopped and talked to the Lord first, like, Lord, I'm going to this conversation. What do I say? Do you have a list of people that you're praying for? It's one thing I talk about often in our sermons is do you have a list? Maybe it's on your mirror or it's on your phone. If I showed you the home screen of my phone, I have a list of about eight names that when I open it, it reminds me, pray for these people, pray for these people, that they would come to know Jesus. We should all have a list of people that we're thinking about and we're praying for. Paul goes on now in verse 2 and he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Prayer is something I cannot stress enough. I know if we took it more seriously, we'd see results like we can never imagine. If we were really 
have in our names, if you have five to ten names and you're like, I'm praying for these people every day to come to faith, how different would things be and not just center point, but in the church across the United States and across the world if we were just praying for people to come to faith? How different? How are we to pray? As you look at verse 2 again, you'll see a couple of things. The passage gives us three actions of prayer. Paul says, you need to be devoted to prayer. It's an issue of perseverance. It means to be courageously persistent, to be devoted. It means I am not going to give up. We need to have that prayer list, and we need to be praying persistently for them. Would you be willing, if you're on social media with us today, would you be willing maybe to share a name or at least initials, first name of somebody you're praying for? We'd love to be able to join with you in prayer. Luke 18, Jesus told a parable about a persistent widow. She's given justice by the judge of the town because she was persistent. He said, because this woman keeps bothering me, she will get justice. The whole parable is about being persistent in prayer. Let me ask, do you keep bothering God for people who are far from him? I know I kind of ebb and flow. There's times where I'm bothering God a lot, and then there's times like, Brian, you haven't been praying for lost people lately, people far from God. God loves persistent prayers. How many times have we maybe prayed for somebody once or twice, three or four times, and we've given up? Your coworkers that you work with, are they on a list where you're like, I'm praying for them every day. Before I go in today to my workplace, I want to pray for my coworkers. What about friends that you have and and neighbors that you have? God loves it. How many times do we just give up? Let me ask you a question. Are you glad that someone prayed for you? I I guarantee that we are not where we are today in Christ without someone who has prayed for us. I bet if you ask the person who helped lead you to Jesus how often they prayed for your salvation, I guarantee they'd probably say, well, it was more than once or twice. They probably said, I was praying for you regularly, and I am so glad that you've come to faith. And so Paul says, we need to be devoted. The second action, he says, you stay alert. The phrase literally means to stay awake. No sleeping while you pray. It was used this way when Jesus chastised his disciples for going to sleep on him when he was praying in the garden. And the context is what it means is that we are to be aware of what's going around us in our world that would require, require prayer help from God, and we be alert for people who are, are not a people of faith yet, what's going on in their lives. Stay alert. When they're walking through a job change, when they're walking through losing their job, they're walking through a sickness, they're walking through COVID, they're walking through a child who's struggling, are we alert to know, oh, that's going on in their lives? I'll pray for them, and I will minister to them the best I can while challenges happen. See, Christians cannot isolate themselves from this world and have no clue what's going on around us. We need to know what's going on with my neighbor that shares a fence line with me. What's going on with my coworker and the marriage that is struggling? How can I just get to know them so personally? I know what's going on, so I'm praying for what they're going through, and maybe in that, I'll have the opportunity to share Jesus. There's a third action Paul says about prayer. He says, be thankful. Our hearts should be overflowing with thanksgiving. I think the opposite of thankfulness is grumbling and complaining. Paul says, be thankful to remind us that thankfulness is a light that shines brightly. And as as we see that, we're called to pray. 
And I wonder how many of us ruin our witness just by the simple thing of grumbling and complaining. I went to Aldi yesterday with my wife. We're standing in a line, and, you know, the line gets long, and so it's going down the middle aisle. The lady in front of us had slid up, and she looked at me, and she said, if they would just have some more employees, we wouldn't have this problem. And I knew exactly what I was talking about today, and I thought, how often do I maybe spout off something that I think is so simple, but at the same time is filled with grumbling and complaining? Because we don't know why they don't have more employees, more registers open, someone gets sick, maybe they did, someone called in. We have no idea why it's going on. And how often have I been like that, to just grumble and complain about the simple things? What does that do to our witness? See, what we're called to do is to be thankful. As we spend a great deal of time in prayer, Paul also tells us what to focus on. Look at verse 3. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul says, first of all, focus on and ask God to open the door for the gospel. We must resent the temptation of kicking doors in. See, if we try to force the seed of the gospel to unprepared soil, it most likely will not produce a harvest. But Paul's like, listen, we need to pray for people to be receptive to the gospel. You know, farmers, they don't just take seed and scatter it on hard dirt. They prepare the soil first. They go and break up the ground. They put some nutrients into the ground, and then they start to plant. We must prepare the soil of the heart. And how do we do that? Paul's like, you do that in prayer. If you go over to your neighbor and say, sit down, i got to talk to you about Jesus right now, they may not be so receptive to that. But you've been praying for them, and conversation leads to, you know what, I can do this. Or now, because I've been developing a relationship, been praying, I think their heart is ready. They're going to be much more receptive to having that conversation about Jesus. So we've got to prepare the, prepare the heart, the soil of the heart. The second focus of our prayer is to ask God what to say. How many times have we shot out of our mouths only to have it driven, drive a person away from God instead of drawing them closer to God? I know I've done that before. I've said things because I've said things without praying about them first. And I have found that when I'm even meeting with somebody one-on-one, I've been meeting with this couple about every three weeks on a Monday and talking about faith, and they've asked some really crazy tough questions that their biblical understanding is very limited And literally in the middle of talking with them, I'm like, Lord, what do I say now? Lord, what do I say now? Lord, I'm not sure how to answer that question. And there's been a time or two, he's like, just tell them you're going to get back on that answer. Because what happens is many times we just start to speak whatever we can, and it can drive them off. But Paul's like, listen, you got to be talking to God, and you got to ask God, God, give me the words to say. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, you've got to prepare the heart and then ask God to guide you. Our second key to effective witnessing, not only just our prayers, but do we consider our conduct, our own behavior, how we conduct ourselves has a huge impact on our ability to reach people. Our our conduct shows people what is really important to us. See, if we have nothing good to say about the church I'm attending, you know, it's going to be hard to convince other people, hey, come to my church. Or if I'm trying to win a lost husband or a lost wife or, or children to Christ and my attitude is negative or my life has a very limp, little semblance of the Jesus that I profess, it'll be hard to win them over to a God who I say makes a difference in my life. 
Or if I tell people my work, my life has changed because of Jesus, but they don't see a change because I look just like them and my conduct is no different than them, how are they going to say, yeah, I want your Jesus? You know, we don't have to be perfect to be effective. But in verse 5, Paul says, be wise in a way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. We're called to conduct ourselves with wisdom. Living with wisdom is understanding that people are watching us. When we say, I'm a believer in Jesus, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian, they're looking at us and going, well, what's different about you than than me? It, it, It is understanding that for many people, we're the only Bible they'll ever read. We're the only Jesus they will ever see. This is why it's so important for those in the church to to love one another, to get along with one another. If I go home and I have an unsaved wife or an unsaved husband, and I go home and complain, I can't believe they do this at the church. I don't like my church friends. How are they going to say, I want that Jesus? You walk in the office tomorrow morning. You say, you know what they did at my church? I can't believe the preacher said. I can't believe they did. I can't believe they're doing this with COVID or that with COVID. Man, they're so stupid over there. Do you think that person's going to want your Jesus? Absolutely not. They're going to say, that religion stuff is for the birds, is what they're going to say. If I go out and act just like everyone else in the world, do you think I'll have much of chance to win or witness to them? See, we've got to be aware of our conduct because it affects our ability to reach people. If you stumble, what you're going to do be ready to say, I'm sorry. You make a mistake with an unbeliever, you know what? If you go to them and say, I'm sorry, I messed up. I need your forgiveness. That's not how I wanted to treat you. That's not what I wanted to say. They'll have a lot more respect than us going on with our pious religious attitudes like we have it all together. Because the truth is, we don't. We are messed up and broken. The difference is, we have Jesus. Our conduct should enhance our outreach. That's the way we should act towards outsiders. Paul's saying, you've got to be watching that. What we do should bring glory to Jesus. We're to make the most of every opportunity. How we deal with people should help them to see that we have something that they need. I really believe that the largest obstacle between the lost world, between people who don't know Jesus and walking with Jesus many times are Christians themselves. I think we hurt ourselves. I think our witness sometimes is just damaging. We can be our own worst enemies or we can be a real blessing. And that's something for us to look at with God and say, God, am I a blessing to the kingdom or am I a distraction to the kingdom? God calls us to live in such a way to bring glory to God. And I've seen people who have a very positive role model who can do that in reaching people for Jesus just by their spirit of how they walk with God. There's a third key to effective witnessing. It's our prayers, it's our conduct. And lastly, Paul says, what about your speech? Now, we touched on this a little bit earlier. The, the way we speak, what we say and how we say it can either be a blessing or it can be a roadblock. There are two things I want us to consider concerning our, concerning our speech. Look at verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What does this verse tell us? Paul's like, listen, your speech needs to be filled with grace. In Bible times, that meant that our speech would be dotted with witty and clever sayings and remarks. What it meant here is that our speech would be the type of language which results from the operation of God's grace in our hearts. 
Our speech is to be something that is seasoned with salt. Too much salt ruins a good dish. Not enough salt makes the dish kind of taste lifeless. We're to add flavor to lives around us is what Paul is saying. Does your speech add flavor and just the right amount of flavor? See, the second issue concerning speech is Paul says, you need to know who you're speaking with. You know, I have a pet peeve that I'll jump on my family with sometimes is when I cook a meal at home and the salt shaker is pulled out before anyone tastes it. Yesterday I was cooking on the flat top griddle and I was thinking about that. I was thinking, oh boy, who's going to pull the salt out? And so I was actually watching, like, does anyone pull the salt out as we did um, peppers and sausages and potatoes? And I didn't see anybody pull the salt out, so I was very pleased. But I always wonder, how do we do that? I never understand how someone can salt their food before they taste it. How do you know if it's already salted enough? How do you know if it has great flavor until you try it? But when you add salt, you can ruin a meal. Before tasting it, you could oversalt your food. We need to know about as much as we can about people we're dealing with so we can know how to be salt to them. Do they need a little bit of this or a little bit of that? Or maybe they need to back off a little bit. That's what Paul's calling us to in our speech. We need to know our effectiveness increases as we know more about the people we're trying to reach. We must be able to walk in their shoes. We must be able to see life from their eyes. We need to know that those we're trying to reach so that we can better reach them. So if you have a list of people that you're praying for, list of people that you're then caring for, that list of people you're saying, Lord, I need to know as much about their lives and what's going on with them so I can pray about their stuff and so I can minister within their needs. See, telling other people about Jesus, it can be intimidating. It can be fearful, but but we may have tried it once or twice and maybe we say, well, I failed somewhere along the line and say, well, I'm going to just stop. I'm not going to do it. You know how it gets easier? When you get more purposeful and you keep trying. And, and if you really practice what I'm talking about here, create this list of people that you're praying for. Then you figure out, how can I love them? How can I know about them? How can I care for them? And you say, Lord, you give me the words to say. You tell me when to say them. You'll be amazed how much evangelism can become a joy and not a fear. Do you have that list of people? Something we've talked about often around the body of Centerpoint, you should have that list. Are you trying to reflect Jesus in your conduct? Are you praying for them? Are you, is your speech filled with grace? Are you a person who's received grace in Jesus of Jesus in your life? You're like, I'm giving that to others. I, I encourage you, let us not be afraid to kind of step into the water and be diligent in sharing Jesus. Paul's closing his letter with that. He's like, I've been talking to you about Jesus the whole time. Now, church, make sure you're sharing Jesus. You know what? We have a great opportunity this month. Yeah, church looks different. Sure, the way we're gathering is different. Gathering online, gathering in Zooms, gathering where it's not big crowds. It's different. It doesn't mean we still can't share Jesus. You're going to be invited through Zooms to some different gatherings for for prayer and for some caroling and for some story time. And and, and you're going to receive invites about gathering online for, for worship. You know, you can share that with others, those people you're praying for. Don't just go and blast it to anybody and everybody, but share it with your friends personal invite. I've been praying for you. Love to have you join me during Christmas season. Church, we have a great opportunity to share Jesus, even in the midst of COVID. So let's lift his name up and let's point people towards Jesus. That's what Paul is telling us in the book of Colossians. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God,